This is the sixth Sunday in our series, Flawed But Following. But if you're brand new here today, don't worry about not being here for those previous Sundays because today, you know, stands on its own just like every message does, hopefully. And, and then next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called Bless, Five Ways to Love Our Neighbors. And if you guess that BLESS is an acronym for those five ways, you would be right. Uh, over the next couple of years, we're going to be coming back to BLESS and relearning it and finding new ways to incorporate it into our church. I discovered uh, how about BLESS relationships about a year ago, and I've been in trying to incorporate it into my life, and, you know, I'm still learning it. It takes time to develop this and learn this in your life, but I love doing it because I find that it's, a, it's an adventurous way to be a disciple. So anyway, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you starting next Sunday. Uh, we also have a guidebook for you for this series, uh, Blessed Series, and we've got a stack of them out at the uh, Connection Center, which is the table next to the, uh, the elevator in the foyer. And if you're in a group... Most of our groups are going to be going through this guidebook during Lent. Um, and next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. So, and if you're not in a group right now, pick up a guidebook anyway. Go through it on your own or go through parts of it. it it's up to you. Or maybe find a friend or so, two and say, let's go have coffee or lunch and, and go through it together. Um, okay, we're going we're gonna to start today's message with the theme verse uh, of this series, it is John 8:31, and uh, here it is. So, if you have been here before on these previous five weeks, I'm going to ask you to help me out with the filling in the blanks. You're thinking you got it? Oh, yeah, here it is. Jesus said, "If you hold to my what teaching, you are really my what disciples." Yes. If you if you hold to my teaching, he said, "You are really my disciples." He doesn't say, uh, once you get your life together, or once you know the Bible better, then you're my disciples. He doesn't say, once you tame your temper, or once you quit being so selfish, then you're really my disciples. No. Being a disciple means you're learning. You're, you're learning life from Him. And we've got a lot to learn yet, don't we? And so we hold on to Jesus, we hold on to what he says. Discipleship, being a disciple just means you keep following. Sometimes we fall down, sometimes we fumble the ball. But we get up and we keep on following. So let's open our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 36. There are Bibles in front of you in the rack, so grab those. Share with your neighbor if you need to. Uh, it's on page 996 in these Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible of your, of your own that you can read, then take the Pew Bible home. You don't have to ask any permission. I've given you permission right now. Take it with you. You can take it home, keep it, put your name in it, and it's yours. Now, the place that we're at now is, a, is one of the biographies about Jesus in the Bible. And this one's written by his disciple named Matthew, also known as Levi. Uh, and in this scene, it is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. Uh, before that, he's going to be convicted and beaten and whipped. He's, he's, he's just eaten his last meal with his disciples, the one where he takes the bread and he says, this is my body, and he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. So then after the meal, they go outside and they, they exit through the city gate 
of Jerusalem and they go uphill to the Mount of Olives, to the spot where they usually camp for the night. And Jesus knows what awaits him the next day. Let's look at verses 36 and 37, shall we? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, uh, which were James and John, by the way, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus goes to this olive grove called Gethsemane, uh, and, and he instructs eight of his disciples, okay, I want you guys to sit over here, because I'm going to be going over there to pray. But he takes Peter, James, and John along with him. I mean, I think maybe these are his closest buds, right? And when you're going through really hard times, you want them close by. So here's what he says to these three friends in verse 38. He confesses to them. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So if I were to paraphrase, I think Jesus is saying, you know, I feel so sad. I think I'm going to die. I feel so sad. I feel like I'm dying right now. And then Jesus pours out his soul in prayer. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So today, our focus is on how seeing that disciples are weak but willing. That's the title of today's message is, is, message is weak but willing. But here we also see that Jesus was weak. We see the weakness of Jesus. And, and one of the basic Christian beliefs is that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. That means he was fully God and fully man. And there's no place in the Bible, I think, that we see that we witness his humanity more than here in Gethsemane. And he pleads that maybe it would be possible that he would not have to drink the cup of suffering. And he's not praying, you know, just like a robot, stone-cold stoicism. He's desperate. He's in agony and anguish. Jesus was not Superman from some other planet. When he, when he got hungry, he ate. When he got tired, he slept. And when he was full of sorrow, he wept. And he asked his friends to be near him. Have you thought about that, that Jesus was weak? Now, we have three layers of weakness in our lives. Uh, and there's a place on, the, on your bulletin on the back for taking notes. And I would invite you to just jot these down, would you? Take them home. Think, think about them a little bit later. Uh, and the first layer of weakness is something that we share with Jesus. And it is the, it is the weakness of our humanity. Psalm 103 uh, says that God remembers that we are dust. God knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. And, and when, when we are grieving in the wake of a loss, Jesus understands. He's been there. I mean, it's only human to grieve and to hurt and to be weak at a time like that. Jesus went through it and so will you. One of the things that lets me know that, that Matthew and the other gospel writers were not just making this stuff up about Jesus 
is, is this kind of stuff that they include because if you're, if you're trying to write and convince people of a divine Messiah and you're making it up, then you're probably not going to share about Jesus' weaknesses. But here, we find Jesus in the depth of his humanity. He reveals the depth of Jesus' weakness. And the second layer uh, is our weakness, is, is the weakness of our brokenness. Our brokenness. For example, uh, anxiety runs in my family. A lot of us deal with that. Uh, is it genetic? Probably so. Do we, uh, do we pass it on and teach it to our next generation? Probably so. Friday night, Trish and I uh, went to dinner with some longtime friends and uh, two other couples. And, and uh, out of the blue, it just kind of hit me. And this kind of a wave of anxiety, and I could feel the, 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 the tightness in the, my muscles in my neck just sort of clench up and, and hurt. And, uh, and, I'm, and I don't really know if I, for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that my, my breathing had become pretty shallow which often accompanies that. And so I'm kind of, okay, try to breathe deeply here. Breathe. And I reached out and I touched Trish's shoulder. Just as a little bit of connection, a little bit of soothing to bring, to bring a little calm to me. Anxiety is a weakness I live with. I can tell you that counseling has helped. It, it has really helped a lot. The things that I learned there, I'm still incorporating into my life. Uh, pr prayerful meditation has been a wonderful help. I deal with it a whole lot better than I ever used to. Some of you have ADD. Some of you deal with bipolar disorder. Some of you carry memories that haunt you of trauma and abuse. This is the weakness of our brokenness. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want it but we deal with it. And the third layer is the weakness of our inclination to sin. And the Bible says that we all have it. We all have this inclination to sin. Sin lives inside us. And in this life, it's always going to be there. There's a spiritual rebelliousness that resides in our hearts. Over the last few weeks, uh, Trish and I watched um, all three of the Lord of the Rings movies. Any, any fans of Lord of the Rings out there? Yeah. We watched all three of the extended version of these movies. That's a lot of movie time, I'm telling you. And if you've never f seen them, the ring. The ring has great power. Everyone wants it. It's the one ring to rule them all. And yet that power will destroy anyone who possesses the ring. But... A humble little hobbit named Frodo seems remarkably immune to the ring's corrosive influence. Frodo is chosen as the ring bearer and he must take the ring to Mount Doom, the only place it can be destroyed. Remember this, don't you? Yeah. And, and there he is on this ledge in the middle of Mount Doom and he sees this flowing lava before him and all he has to do is cast down the ring into the lava and his mission will be complete. 
But then at that very moment, he takes that ring and he clutches it and he turns to his friend Sam and says, the ring is mine. That is the power of the ring. You want to have it, but it owns you. It has power over you. Frodo at that moment refuses to let go of the ring. And I think that is a picture of our inclination to sin. We choose it and yet it has power over us. Our only salvation is the power of Christ working in us. You know, as Jesus' disciples, we're like everybody else. We are weak. We are weak in our humanity, weak in our brokenness, weak in our inclination to sin. So let's look in again on these weak disciples and starting on verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Now why does Jesus pick on Peter? Why? Well, maybe it's because right before this, Peter tells Jesus, I'm ready to die with you, Lord. Okay, Peter, you were ready to die with me, but you won't even stay awake with me. And then in verse 41, Jesus says to these guys, watch and pray so that you will not fall into them temptation. But what do they do? They sleep instead of pray. So when the temple police show up, they all scatter, they run away, they fall into that temptation. If you cannot admit your weakness, your weakness will rule you. If you cannot admit your weakness, your weakness will rule you. If you're addicted to alcohol uh, and you go to a 12-step program, the first step might be the hardest. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Who wants to admit that? It's hard to admit that you're powerless. Hard to admit that you're, out of, that you're out of control. And so, our constant prayer is this. In my weakness, be my strength. In my weakness, be my strength. Let's say that together, shall we? In my weakness, be my strength. I've talked with, with many men, uh, uh, you know, here and other places where I've been a pastor about uh, who have a porn problem and they share it with me and, and pornography can be highly addictive. And so I, I tell them, I said, you know, you, you're, you're going to need something. You're going to need a support group, a, a program. You're going to need counseling or, or all three of those. Uh, but I tell them also, you've got you to quit trying to be so strong. You got to quit trying to tell yourself, well, I can tough it out. Instead, you've got to take your weakness seriously. Don't put yourself in tempting situations. Get your spouse and your friends to provide safeguards and accountability and, and, and pray that prayer. In my weakness, be my strength. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. He didn't say that if you've got enough willpower, all things are possible. He didn't say that if you apply enough self-discipline, all things are possible. 
Because we're weak. Only with God is it possible. Here's a, here's a personal example. I know some of you have the idea that um, you've got this certain idea of what a pastor does in preparing a message. And I've talked to people who have this idea, so I'm not making this up. That, that, that what I do is that I, that I switch on a pipeline from God and it just sort of comes out. <laughs> word for word, you know. Or that I'm such a storehouse of spiritual knowledge that it just flows out of me. Let me tell you, the truth is exactly the opposite. There is nothing that brings my weakness to the surface more than preparing a message every week. You don't know how many times when I sit down and I got nothing. I can't tell you how many times when I start to, 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 to write my thoughts and record them that uh, later on I look at the first things that I wrote and go, that was terrible, get rid of that. And it's true, it wasn't any, I mean, it wasn't any good, but it got me started. Uh, sometimes I fall asleep writing my own sermon. <laughs> and that, at that point, the prognosis for you staying awake is not very good. And because I am so weak, I am constantly asking the Holy Spirit, oh, you've got to keep feeding your thoughts to me, keep breathing your ideas, keep inspiring me, Lord, oh. In ancient times, gold and jewels were often transported in just very plain, brownish-gray earthenware jars. Nobody knew what was inside, and that was kind of the idea, to conceal it. And the Apostle Paul borrows that image and he says that the good news is like the treasure. And he said he and we are like the plain jars. He says we have this treasure in, in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. And in the same later he says, I delight in my weaknesses for when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that a beautiful paradox? When I am weak, then I am strong. In the last part of verse 41, Jesus says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, what does that mean, the spirit is willing? God has put something deep inside you that wants a life of righteousness. God has planted that seed in your spirit. But the flesh is weak. And the flesh refers to our physical bodies, but also to our inclination to sin. Now, for Peter, James, and John, their physical bodies were tired. I mean, it's the middle of the night. This is when we're supposed to sleep. They were sleepy, their flesh was weak, and they failed to stay awake even after Jesus expressly asked them to because they didn't think it was all that important. Their inclination to sin made them weak. I'd like to invite uh, Scott Schneider to come on up and, and visit with me. Um, 
Some of you know Scott. He's, he's often here at the 1045 service, but you may not always see him because he's usually up behind the soundboard up in the, in the balcony. So, um, Scott, thank you for coming and being willing to, to share with us a little bit today. Um, because a lot of people don't know you, tell us, who, who's Scott Schneider? Uh, I kind of first started coming to Faith Westwood about five years ago or so. Yeah. Um, kind of been running the sound. Um, I'm happy up there. Um, yeah. Nobody can see me. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been doing that for a few years, too. So. Yeah. And then before that, prior to that, I was uh, in the military for a while. I was 23 years in retired Army. So. 23 years? Yes, sir. That's, that's, a, that's quite a career. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a few experiences. And now, are you, you're from Nebraska, isn't that right? Have you always yes, been a follower of Jesus? Did you grow up like I, that? Or? I, I grew up in a small town in the southeast corner, Pawnee City, uh-huh. extreme southeast corner, and um, small German community, and that's what you did on Sundays. You woke up, and you went to Sunday school, and then you went to church, and it was just, I guess, ingrained in me at a young age that that's what you did on Sundays. Um, then... Uh, I guess later in life when I started college and then into the military and stuff, um, my schedule always wasn't real conducive right. on Sundays, and there were some, some distractions and stuff, and I kind of drifted away a little bit. But then uh, I'd say probably in my mid-20s or so, it was, there was just that emptiness, and I, I was looking for something, and I kind of started looking around and trying to find you know, a, a new church to, to belong to. And so, and so you kind of kept hopping and trying to look, but nothing really settled for you. But then you probably got deployed again, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Uh, that kind of disrupts things. Uh, so you've been through a number of deployments and experienced mm-hmm. a lot of things mm-hmm. in tw- those 23 years. What, what did you all experience? Well, I was in, the, I was in the, the second Gulf War, and then I came back. And that, during that, I was... Like I said, that's kind of where I was, I was searching for that thing. And I started reading the Bible again, and I was mm-hmm. praying before meals and just kind of trying to find and just kind of working in that direction and trying to find what fit and everything. Um, then when I was deployed to Bosnia, um, it's one of those things where I was deployed home, deployed home, and it, you're okay. just trying to find that sense of normalcy. And, and I guess that was my faith was one thing I was grasping on. Um, there was a. We were fortunate enough on that deployment to have a chaplain mm-hmm. attached to us, and the the base was fairly stable. We had a small chapel, and I was kind of attending some of the services there, and just trying to find my faith and find normalcy. And I guess the one thing about that deployment was nice is um, Bosnia was about the same latitude as Nebraska is, so the weather patterns were really similar and everything. Um, a lot of the geographical features were pretty f- similar too, and it, just trying to trying to relate to what you're going through and what's around there, just to try to, to find a way to make it seem normal. Um, a lot of the the local population there too was farmers, and you know, I grew oh. up in a small farming community, and you kind of start getting to know some of these people, and they're planting similar crops and everything, and you can kind of kind of semi say that's like home right you know just on the other side of the earth so but i also imagine that the more you get to know people then in some ways it makes the tragedies harder yeah there is um there was one particular family that, that probably the one that first really really shook me was um as the different waves of 
war come through the community, the families would just pack up whatever they could in whatever vehicle they had and ran to, run to the next area that's safe. And some of them were hopscotching every month or two, or you know, if they were in one place for six months with a suitcase full, that it was surprising. And then slowly, as you know, the the peacekeeping troops came in and you know maintained, and the the it was kind of like a resettlement where the people were coming back to what was familiar and safe when families' homes are back to their original homes. And there right. was there was one family. There was a husband and wife, and there were two children. And then grandma was with them too, and she'd been displaced and moving around with them. And they were moving back into their original house, and uh, they were really excited about that. And uh, so they're coming back in, and you know, in war and everything's not clean, so you kind of got to do a lot of housekeeping when you come back in. And Grandma's sweeping up, and uh, behind the front door of the house, she's sweeping out a pile of what debris that's back there, and there happens to be a landmine back there. Oh my! And so she trips the landmine with her broom. Um, it killed Grandma, in, severely injured one of the children. Um, and just hearing about that to where I'd related to these people as the friends and family that I grew up with, it just kind of, it really hit close to home and shook my faith at that time. You know? I'm sure so it would have. It was, it was, it was tough. So. Um, you, you know, throughout these 23 years, you've had to be strong <laughs> a lot, haven't you? <laughs> yes, did, sir. <laughs> how, did you, how did you think of yourself? during those times? Um, just, I guess I had this, this image in my head that I always strive for is, you know, the, the image of perfection that everybody tries for, but I guess I, I kind of been growing up with that in high school. It was, I expected myself to be in the top 10%. And then once I got into the military and moved up in the, in the NCO ranks, it was, it went from 10% to that 1% that I expected myself to be in that top, top at the top or the top one percent yeah you know there was just I gave myself no no latitude that you know I I wanted to be that stainless steel NCO that knew everything that did everything right that you know was top of the charts off the charts and that's just kind of the what I strove for what I tried to be what you know, I guess it's one of those things where you, if you refuse refuse the obvious long enough you can be what you're aiming for yeah. type of thing that you that was what my goals were and it was just kind of um, one of those things to where yeah, you, you start pushing away other areas of your life and focus and trying to improve. So, stainless steel soldier, <laughs> Scott Schneider, sounds kind of like a superhero or Whoa. something, right? <laughs> or, or a robot, maybe? or Very robotic, yes. Is that's, it? A lot of times that's the, it was like a survival instinct that you were, you know, you were that robot that just kept moving and doing doing what the book said I was supposed to do next, and there was uh -huh. very little thoughts and emotions involved in it. So. so you've got this stainless steel image of yourself. When did that begin to crack? Um, that would probably be, um, I went, was in the Gulf and then Bosnia, and then I, I went to Iraq, and it was when I came back from Iraq, um, I had some time to build off, and they give you some readjustment time there. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, don't have to go to work, don't really, you know, kind of readjusting with your family and just getting used to civilian life and driving on one side of the road and not driving any incoming traffic and yeah. following lines and curves and things like that. And uh, there was one day I needed some 
deodorant and toothpaste. And so I thought, well, I'll run to the grocery store and get deodorant and toothpaste. You know, it seemed like, you know, nothing that I hadn't been doing the whole time anyway. Um, sidebar here, the, when you're deployed, the, the PX is your little grocery shop. Right. It's a, it's a very small, quick shop, basically. And you've got one or two selections of whatever you need. And you walk in and you grab the one that you need and keep going. It's not that way when you go to the mega super grocery stores yeah. that there's aisles and aisles and feet and selections and colors and every variety of whatever you want that you can think of. And uh, it first kind of started getting to me when I'm sitting there looking at the deodorant and there's red and green and blue and extra and super and I'm just, it, things are just, I was like, ah, it's just yeah. spinning in the back of my head. And I was like, I'm used to two choices. You want the one on the left or one on the right? You want the women's or the men's? grab it and go <laughs> and so it took me a while and finally I just kind of reached out and grabbed whatever was in front of me I'm like okay I got deodorant down toothpaste and I'm going up there and toothpaste is there's more to toothpaste and there's deodorant it just goes on forever and I'm already spun up at this time anyway and uh I'm just having a hard time and a hard time, and I'm like, I can't even focus hardly on what I'm doing. And I was like, I just got to get out of here. That's it. I just yeah. forget, even if I don't, you know, either get it, pay for it, get out of here, or just leave it and go get out of here. And I thought, well, I'm near the front door. I'll just walk up the aisle and out the door. And here comes this little old lady, 90 some years old, and coming around. And she needed toothpaste too. And all of a sudden I stopped and I was trying to evaluate do I run the other door deeper into the store where I didn't want to be <laughs> to try to escape or am I going to plow down this little old lady <laughs> to try to save my life to get out of here so it was kind of one of those and that's I guess it is at that point it realized that um something changed that I'm not like I yeah. used to be that there's something going on here and so you were kind of feeling a panic <laughs> very, very panicked. And, and you know, kind of like this 90-some-year-old this, uh, lady is a barrier, and I've got to, you know, you, things, thoughts you wouldn't normally have. Yeah, she, it, in my mind, she was threatening my life by yeah. being in the aisle there and blocking right. me. It, it, now I know it was simulating like an ambush-type okay. situation is what it was okay. triggering. So. And so is that when you began to first really experience PTSD? That, that was my first huge wake-up call was okay. when that happened. And then, um, I'd been talking to the case manager at the VA trying to, when I was deployed, I, the stainless steel guy had 185 guys underneath him. And so I'd been getting them help, you know, they, not me. Not you. Oh, no. They needed help. So I was being the guy helping them get help and everything. And so I'm talking to her and explaining this situation, and she's just nodding her head. And I was like, what, you know what's going on and she just matter of fact like, goes hey you got PTSD just, oh. and I was like no I don't no I don't <laughs> you know that's a flaw I can't have a flaw and yeah. uh, it was at that point to where you know I was like what is it how can you beat it you know and this kind of thing and it's just one of those where it just I guess I'm trying to refuse a weakness and it just yeah. doesn't always work that way so you know Scott I remember a year ago uh, you were off for quite a few weeks from church. We didn't see you. T can you tell us what was happening then? I'd actually, I'd gone inpatient um, at the VA for, for the PTSD award there. Yeah. And um, things just kind of get out of 
got out of hand, got to building up, and I, so I went in and kind of took some classes and learned how to deal with things in a little different ways. So, and yeah. it just really, uh, really helped. I just, it was that that perfect stainless steel image uh -huh. that uh, when you try to do that too many hours and try to keep that that it, that perfect perfection thing going you know and doing things for other people and trying to improve myself and always have all the answers to every question and everything and you know it takes up eight and then ten and then twenty and then twenty two or twenty three hours a day and you know sleep is a crutch it's a weakness oh yeah <laughs> so that the self-care thing seems to kind of fade into the background when when uh, I kind of get busy busy helping other people and trying to trying to be better Busy be being so. the stainless steel man. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Zero defects. And, and so then you realize I can't live on two to three hours of sleep con a day <laughs> continually. And, and uh, so what would you say, what would you, what would you recommend to some, what would you say to somebody who feels like they always have to be strong and can never be weak? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> 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 it's not possible. Trust me, I tried it. Um, yeah, the, no matter how hard you try to do that, um, eventually you need rest. Your body, yeah, it, as hard as you fight it and you, as much as you will it, your body needs rest and it will, will take rest. It's probably the worst given time yeah. when, you, when you refuse it. Um, it, it I guess uh, it's just that trying to find that balance. Um, taking care of yourself is what kind of what I learned up there yeah you know and a lot of it's just being accepting you know and it's you know much like God expect accepts us for with our flaws and stuff yeah. that he wants us to be willing but doesn't doesn't expect perfection and sure. stainless steel robots so. right. <laughs> all right Scott you know you faced a lot of things in your life that required courage and maybe exposing your weaknesses in front of a couple hundred people is one of those. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment. Uh, band, you can come on up here. And... Uh, We've been talking about being flawed but following. And so, and I, one of my goals for this is that we will own our identity as Jesus' disciples. My, my goal is that you'll leave here to saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's who I am. And so, if you are ready to own that, I'm going to ask you to join with me as we say this together. I'm a disciple flawed but following. Is that you? Let's try it again. I'm a disciple, flawed but following. And one way you can own that, uh, that label, that uh, title is to get a shirt uh, afterwards. Maybe you want to wear it and maybe you won't, but every time you see it, it will remind you that you're a disciple. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we ask for your blessing upon uh, us because we are people who are weak, but you are our strength. And we want to keep leaning on you and learning from you, trusting you to be our strength every day. We pray in your name. Amen.